I am right now reading a biography of Frederick Douglass, and uh, it's a really compelling life. And one of the things that's uh, a compelling American story, one of the things that's so compelling about Frederick Douglass is he was one of the primary voices, maybe the primary voice, in emancipation. And it's really crazy, if you think about it, that in our country, we enslaved people, largely based on their, well, not largely, exclusively based on their race. We bought them and sold them and uh, used them for our purposes and uh, didn't pay them. Um, Frederick Douglass was a significant part of uh, getting rid of that. And one of the things that I have learned from uh, Frederick Douglass's biography is Abraham Lincoln uh, wrote and delivered the Emancipation Proclamation, and it was several years before that actually worked itself out into the life of America. You know, half of it, we were at the Civil War at the time, and, and half of America was still enslaving its citizens even after Abraham Lincoln had delivered the Emancipation Proclamation. So the celebration of Juneteenth is really the celebration of the kind of final delivery of that to the state of Texas, and uh, 250,000 slaves, they estimate, were, were still living in slavery years after the Emancipation Proclamation had been delivered. You know, there, there's a sermon in that. Uh, I think when Jesus went to the cross, uh, all that separates us from God and all that separates us from one another was overcome at the cross. But there was still a pretty dramatic uh, mop-up exercise that still had to be applied across the, the globe, really, and over time, and our lives are that mop-up exercise. So think about that tomorrow when you are uh, celebrating Juneteenth. Let me kick us off in prayer, and then Abigail Reed is going to uh, read our scripture for us this morning. So let's pray. Father, thanks so much for your presence with us. We thank you that you are the perfect Father, and uh, you show those of us who um, are trying our best and doing a halting job at this, you show us how to do it. You are the model. Uh, you also are that, Lord, for each of us. Even if we had less than perfect human fathers, we have a perfect heavenly Father, and we look to you now. We ask today that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, Abigail is going to read Exodus chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. And let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's Word. Boys and girls, let's stand together and let's listen to Abigail read Exodus 9, verses 1 through 4. You're up, Abigail. Exodus 9, 1 through 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go so that, they, so that they may worship me. If you continue to hold them back, the hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock and in your fields, on your horses and on your donkeys and, and cattle and camel, sheep and goats. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt, so that no animals will die belonging to the Israelites. Thank you, Abigail. You may be seated. Drop that microphone back in that stand over there if you would. 
1985, in Great Britain, first dozens and then hundreds and then thousands of cattle started displaying really weird symptoms and then dying. It was discovered that they had bovine spongiform encephalo. Thank you. Yeah, that word. Uh, and one of the weirdest symptoms of all was right before they died, they would, they would, they would start acting mad, like they didn't have any sense. It, the, the disease was actually eating their brains. And that's where the disease got its common name from, mad cow's disease. Some of you are old enough to remember that. We don't know what disease attacked the livestock of ancient Egypt, but we know that it was sent by God, and we know that it affected all of the animals that were left out in the field. Sheep and goats, uh, cattle, horses, donkeys, even camels. This was the fifth plague that God inflicted on his people, on the people of uh, Pharaoh and on Pharaoh. So let's walk through those plagues this morning if we can, just to remind ourselves. In the first plague, uh, God turned the Nile into blood, and God told Pharaoh, give me that slide, Dean, if you would. God told Pharaoh, get up early and go out to the Nile and confront Pharaoh and say to him, if you don't let my people go, I'm going to turn the Nile into blood. And then he did so, and all of the Egyptians said, oh no, we can't drink, we can't water our crops, what will we do? Let's say that together, Egyptians, because we are in the same place that the ancient Egyptians were. We are people that tend to refuse God, especially when we are apart from Jesus. So we'll say together on three, oh no, we can't drink, we can't water our crops, what will we do? One, two, three, oh no, we can't drink, we can't water our crops, what will we do? Pharaoh brought in his magicians and they did the same things. They turned water into blood by their secret arts, so Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said. Then the second plague, the second plague was frogs. Frogs came out of the Nile and covered everything. They went into homes, they went into the palaces, and the Egyptians said, oh, yuck, this is smelly and unsanitary. Get rid of these frogs on three together, Egyptians. One, two, three. Oh, yuck, this is smelly and unsanitary. Get rid of these frogs, and you're, you're I, I must say, you're um, very energetic Egyptians. Egyptian magicians were brought in. They also did the same thing. They created massive frogs. Pray for me and I'll let your people go, Pharaoh said, because he's beginning to have enough of this. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief from the frogs, he hardened his heart and wouldn't listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Then came the third plague. And in the third plague, all the dust of the, the whole land was turned into gnats. And the Egyptians said, oh my, gnats are in my eyes, in my mouth, in my sandwich. I don't think they ate sandwiches, but you know what I mean. Get rid of these gnats. Let's say it together. One, two, three. Oh my, gnats are in my eyes, in my mouth, and in my sandwich. Get rid of these gnats. The Egyptian magicians could not do this. But the Lord, still, Pharaoh's heart was hard. He would not listen, just as the Lord had said. Then came the fourth plague. We talked about this last week. Swarms of flies all over the people. God told Moses everywhere. God told Moses Again, to go down early in the morning to the Nile and confront Pharaoh, swarms of flies will cover the land except in the land of Goshen where God's people live. And the, uh, the Egyptians said, Oh, gross, flies around my head, flies in my bed, flies on my food. Get rid of these flies. Let's say it together. One, two, three. Oh, gross, flies around my head, flies in my bed, flies on my food. Get rid of these flies. You're becoming less and less enthusiastic Egyptians. 
the magicians were not even consulted at this point in the story, or at least they aren't mentioned here. Flies were everywhere except, again, in the land of Goshen, where the Israelites lived. Finally, Pharaoh told Moses, okay, you can go worship the Lord, but you've got to stay local. Moses said, that's not good enough. The Egyptians will be offended by our sacrifices, and more importantly, we've got to do what the Lord told us to do, so we've got to leave. Pharaoh said, okay, you can go, but first get rid of these flies and don't go too far. He got rid of the flies, but this time also Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. And that brings us to the fifth plague, the one that Abigail read for us this morning. The livestock in the field suffered some kind of disease and died, but again, not in the land of Goshen. The Israelites said, holy cow, what will we eat? What will we worship? Help us, help us. One, two, three. Holy cow, what will we eat? What will we worship? Help us, help us. Let's read the the rest of that section, verses 5 through 7. The Lord set a time and said, Tomorrow the Lord will do this in the land, and the next day the Lord did it. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one animal belonging to the Israelites died. Pharaoh sent men to investigate and found that not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died. Yet his heart was unyielding, and he would not let the people go. Now, I've mentioned this before, but we need to remember that these were not just random acts designed to create discomfort for Pharaoh and his people. God was systematically attacking the belief system of the ancient Egyptians. It it seems like each of these plagues was addressing some specific God and some specific act of worship of these ancient Near Eastern peoples. I've mentioned some of the gods as we've gone through this over the past several weeks, gods of the Nile Gods that look like frogs, for example. And uh, today, in the case of Plague 5, the Egyptians considered cows to be sacred. Some of you may remember this, but uh, later in the story when the Israelites are actually delivered and they, they leave, they're out in the desert and they're beginning to get frustrated with God and with Moses. Moses goes up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments and the Israelites, unsure, frustrated, don't know what to do, They create a God for themselves to worship. They want to go back to Egypt, back to slavery. And do you remember what God they created? They created a golden calf. They created a cow because this is what they had worshipped in Egypt. That brings us to the sixth plague. And in the sixth plague, all of Pharaoh's people and all of the remaining animals were, wait for it, covered with boils. And the Egyptians said, ouch, we're covered with boils. They hurt. Please make them go away. One more time, Egyptians, let's hear it. Ouch, we are covered with boils. They hurt. Please make them go away. And now let's read that brief account of the sixth plague. And let's do some spiritual aerobics. Stand out of reverence for God's word with me, if you would. And we will read verses 8 through 12 of Exodus 9. This is now the sixth plague. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from a furnace and Moses toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over the whole land of Egypt and festering boils will break out on the people and animals throughout the land. So they took soot from a furnace, stood before Pharaoh, Moses tossed it into the air and festering boils broke out on the people and animals. The magicians could not even stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and on all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart 
And he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. All right, you may be seated. Now, when we line up all the plagues like this, one after the other, and I did that intentionally, then there are still four more, by, by the way. Several things become obvious, don't they? Four that I can think of. One, throughout the whole process of Moses interacting with Pharaoh and the plagues being launched against the Egyptians, God was showing what he's capable of. Actually, he was showing everyone who he is by showing what he's capable of. He reminded Moses of this several times. And Moses reminded Pharaoh at one point in our story, Moses says, this is so that you might know that there is no one like the Lord our God. Second thing that stands out to me is throughout this whole process, God was increasing the pressure against Pharaoh, mounting, hassle, annoyance, irritation, misery, building on top of itself. And the drama was increasing. The magicians could duplicate it. And then they couldn't duplicate it. And then they themselves are utterly embarrassed before Moses. And Pharaoh utterly rejects. And and then he tries to negotiate it. And then he gives in, but changes his mind. The drama is increasing. The pressure is increasing. Third thing is throughout the whole process, God was increasingly, increasingly drawing a distinction between his people and the people of Pharaoh. Or he he was highlighting the difference between his people and the people of Pharaoh. First plagues created difficulty for everyone. Think about that. Diane pointed this out to me the other day. You know, Jesus reminds us that, listen, Jesus said, the Father causes his Son to shine on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And there are certainly times when I complain about my circumstances without recognizing that God is in the process of blessing me, and this is just a natural part of my circumstances are a natural part of that process. So the early plagues affected everyone, and then God began to differentiate. And the plagues would hit the people of Pharaoh, but not God's people. But the fourth thing, and the most important for our purposes today, that stands out to me when I line all those plagues up and I think about them like that, is that God was constantly, don't miss this, God was constantly, relentlessly giving Pharaoh a choice. And that's where I want us to hunker down for a minute this morning and end our time. God was giving Pharaoh a choice. Let my people go or, uh, let my people go. If you refuse, then plague after plague after plague. And God gave Pharaoh a choice time after time after time, ten times. And Pharaoh consistently chose to ignore the consequences, to ignore the warnings. He chose, he really chose to disbelieve God. There's no other explanation. Wait a minute, somebody's thinking, isn't it true that God hardened Pharaoh's heart? Yes, it is true. It says that in our passage, verse 12, but the Lord, I'm quoting, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron. In fact, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul uses this to illustrate a profound truth about God's control over everything. Listen to this. In Romans 9, the Apostle Paul actually says this, What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he said to Moses, this is a quote from Exodus, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion, because I'm in charge. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For Scripture says to Pharaoh, 
And this quote is from chapter 9 of Exodus in the next section we'll go over. I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But it's also true that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. We've heard that refrain repeatedly throughout the the delivery of these plagues. Repeatedly, Pharaoh refused to recognize who God is. Pharaoh thought he could stand against this, whatever this was. Pharaoh thought he could negotiate. Mr. Pharaoh, how's that going for you? With each plague, God was showing Pharaoh who he is and what he's capable of. With each plague, God was increasing the pressure on Pharaoh and his officials and on his people, trying to get their attention. With each plague, God was increasing the distinction between his people and the people of Pharaoh. Hint, hint, Mr. Pharaoh. And with each plague, Pharaoh was being given an opportunity to turn to the Lord. In order for these plagues to stop, Pharaoh simply needed to acknowledge that Yahweh was the God of the whole earth, creator, sovereign, redeemer, and the one to be worshipped and glorified. If Pharaoh had given his heart, his life, and his love to Yahweh, and if he had simply done what Yahweh asked him to do, then, then the plagues would have stopped. This seems very, very simple. Of course, it, it's not easy. In Pharaoh's case, to make such a choice would have upended his economy. Their economy depended in part on slave labor. To make such a choice would have also upended Pharaoh's authority, his standing to a degree. His people believed he was a god. To make such a choice would have involved a radical mind shift. This was a whole new way of looking at the world, at the universe. This was a a new perspective, a new mindset. So this wasn't an easy choice, but it was the only choice for Pharaoh. God was doing him a favor. He had no other option, and that should have been obvious to him. And look, I honestly believe that had Pharaoh made that choice, eventually his life and the life of his people would have stabilized. The the economy would have recovered. In fact, it did recover. Even after Israel left, Egypt continued to be a thriving civilization. And a great deal of damage was done that could have been avoided. I actually believe that Pharaoh would have flourished if he had made the right choice. Who knows how different history would have been had Pharaoh chosen Yahweh, and each day Pharaoh was given that choice. All right, pause for dramatic effect. We're getting to the part I don't want you to miss. Here's the thing. So was Moses. Moses was also given a choice. Uh, Josh Harwood came up to me after church last Sunday, and he asked in in the passage last week when, when it was talking about the plague, At one point, uh, Moses says, can we go away, you know, let my people go, Pharaoh, let us go away for a weekend to worship the Lord for a few days, journey away. And this is the second time Pharaoh, I mean, sorry, Moses had made that request of Pharaoh. Now remember, what, what Moses is really asking is, let us go forever. But twice, now, this is now the fourth plague. Moses actually came to Pharaoh and said, let us go away for three days, journey into the desert and worship the Lord. Josh asked me after church, why do you think he did that? I stammered and stuttered for a minute because I'd given an explanation 
for that the first time he did it, two Sundays ago or three Sundays ago. You know, there were some cultural reasons. It's part of how they negotiated, and all of that I think is true. But why was he still doing it? Why now in the middle of this process was he still doing it? And Josh made a profound observation. And for those of you who know know Josh, you know how unbelievable that is. That means God can literally speak to anybody. So Josh said, basically, you know, maybe Moses didn't fully get it yet. Maybe it's dawning on Moses. Maybe Moses is growing in his understanding. And he and I had already talked on earlier Sunday, and we, we mentioned again how, you know, as, we're gonna, as we go through the rest of these plagues, what you're going to see is Moses does begin to, to grow in his confidence in himself and in God. Moses is getting it more and more. He sees what God does, and holy smokes, you can do that too? All right. And then God does it, and wow, Moses is understanding more and more. Josh pointed out that part of the reason Moses asked for a weekend away is maybe because Moses is warming up. Maybe Moses is growing. Moses didn't fully get it. Moses was growing in his understanding of himself and more importantly in his understanding of God. You see, Moses was also being asked to choose. Each time he went to Pharaoh, Each time, he had to choose to trust God and to obey. And each time, it became clearer and clearer to him. As each time, he chose Yahweh, and Yahweh came through. Moses was being offered a choice, just like Pharaoh, but Moses chose differently from Pharaoh. Not perfectly, and not all at once, but consistently. It was a journey for Moses. It was a process. For some reason, as I thought about this this past week, I was reminded of the Roman centurion in the New Testament. Some of you know this story. He was a Roman soldier, and he came to ask Jesus for help. He had a trusted servant who was sick, and he'd heard about Jesus, and he believed that Jesus could help with his servant. So he comes to Jesus, please heal my servant, Jesus. So Jesus asked, where do you live? Do you need me to go to your house and heal your servant? And listen to this. This, is, this was his response. I don't think this is on the screen. Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Stay with this. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes, that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. In this man's mind, Jesus had that kind of authority over spiritual things, over sickness, over literally everything. And then Jesus' response is incredible. (laughs) In effect, Jesus told the crowd around him, this man will definitely be enjoying eternity because I've never seen faith like this before. And the Pharisees that were there, they had to be thinking, what are you talking about? This guy doesn't know anything. (laughs) He doesn't. He doesn't even know where the book of Leviticus is. And he may not have known anything, but he had made the right choice. He chose to trust Jesus completely and unconditionally. And that's what matters. Remember last week, we talked about how it's not the information you know. It's about how you love God and love others, and that's a choice. 
Well, over and over and over and over again, 10 times, Pharaoh was given the choice to love God, to worship him, to serve him, to do what he says, and he chose not to do so. And over and over and over again, Moses was essentially given the same choice, and each time, Moses stepped further in. He chose God as best he understood. We're wrapping up, so I hope you get where this is going. We are given that choice as well. And just like Moses, the initial choosing is critically important. Don't miss this, please. The initial choice is critically important. Here's what I mean. God met Moses in the desert in Midian. We talked about this when we were talking through the story of Exodus from from chapter 3. We said prior to that, Moses was a religious guy. He knew the stories, but something happened that day. Something profound happened that day when he saw a burning bush that wasn't being consumed, and God spoke out of that bush, and Moses' response was not to run away. It wasn't to disregard. It wasn't to explain it away. Moses' response was to say, here I am. I'm listening. I surrender. I get it. Moses chose to lean in. He turned toward God. Ultimately, he believed and surrendered. And with that turning, with that decision, with that choice, everything about his life changed. We have to make the same choice. Listen, teenagers, boys and girls, I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about going to church. I'm not talking about being good. Those are all good things, essential things, but the the most important thing is choosing to lean into God, choosing to love Him, choosing relationship with Him, choosing to give Him control of your life. And it doesn't matter if you grew up in a home where you constantly went to church, it doesn't matter how religious your parents were or are, the choice is yours, and God is constantly giving it. And then after that initial choice, we live out the rest of our lives choosing Him. Choosing to love God. Choosing to give Him control of our lives. That is the exercise of our lives. That is the spiritual life. That is our spiritual life in a nutshell. Our relationship with God begins with a choice and it involves constant choosing. I'm going to say that again. Our relationship with God begins with a choice. For some of us, that choice is a blinding one day. Wow, I didn't get it. Now I do. I've seen that happen to people at a, at a high school meeting. I've seen that happen to people in a Sunday morning here at Gateway. I've seen that happen to people at an evangelistic crusade. I've seen that happen to people alone watching television by themselves or alone in their bedroom reading a Bible. I've also seen that happen to people over the course of weeks or months. They just slowly realize oh my goodness, and something different happens. There's a choice. There's a change. Our relationship with God begins with a choice, and it involves constant choosing. So that means when I wake up tomorrow, I can choose stress. I can choose lust. I can choose anger. I can choose hurry. Or I can choose to give my day to God. When I wake up on Tuesday, I... I can can worry about the stock market. I can rush into my to-do list or I can choose to give my day to God. When I listen to the news, I can choose to get furious at where our culture is going and at those idiots that are making ridiculous decisions or 
I can choose to surrender to God. When I'm in the middle, when I'm confronted with relationship, yuck, this person at work or some, my spouse or my kids or my parents, I can choose to worry, I can choose to get angry, or I can choose relationship with God. I can choose to lean into him. Listen, it was bad for Pharaoh. He had so many occasions to choose rightly. And God's power was so evident to Pharaoh. For the New Testament authors, Pharaoh became the poster child for fools who blindly don't believe in God. Blindly don't believe in God. Because it, was, it should have been obvious to him. But I believe it's much worse for us Now, we don't have a prophet like Moses who is constantly reminding us that God is trying to get our attention, offering us warnings and encouraging us to choose the right way, to choose to love God. Every time circumstances pile up against us, we don't have Moses telling us, hey, maybe that's God. Maybe you should be paying attention to that. Maybe he's trying to get your attention here. But we have Jesus In Jesus, God fully revealed himself. We know exactly what God is offering. We know exactly what he's like. How could we reject that? If you're anything like me, as I was thinking about this uh, and praying about this morning, I thought, okay, well, I feel like I have made that choice initially many, many years ago, and I also feel like lots of days I try to choose the right thing Now, I try to lean in the right direction. There are some days that I don't, but a lot of days I try to make the right choice. I continue to try to choose in the right direction. And I honestly thought, you know, why is my life not further along? (laughs) And I was reminded, think about where your life would be had you not made that choice. Had you not chose to step in and had you not chosen to do so consistently. There also may be a person or two or five here today who has never made this choice. You've never chosen fully to step in. You've never said, yes, I'm moving in that direction. I'm turning my life and my heart over to Jesus. And if you have never done that, then I want you to do that this morning as we're singing this song. Others of you, um, you just may need to remind yourself to choose it today and tomorrow because you woke up on the wrong foot today.